John 16 is where we're at. We're going to be looking at verse 4 through 14. So I'm going to read that and then we'll jump in, okay? John chapter 16, beginning in verse 4. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, the sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Father in heaven, we, we praise your name. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the incarnation of our Savior. Thank you for Jesus' perfect life and his sacrificial death. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for his ascension into glory. Thank you, Father, that that we can be brought into all of that through the gospel. Father, please make your word clear today by the power of your spirit. I pray that you would convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and that we might believe and obey and follow. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the, the beginning of this passage kind of has a really interesting question, I think, and I'm, I'm kind of wondering how you're going to answer it. So, so which would you rather have? You probably played would you rather, you know, before. So which would you rather have? Would you rather have Jesus, the God-man, like physically uh, incarnate Jesus, okay? So who he was in his three-year ministry on earth a couple thousand years ago. Would you rather have that Jesus taking up residence in Woodrow, Oklahoma for three years. Would you rather have that? Okay, now, obviously, like, like I know that's a hard question because what are you saying is going to come out? No, I, I'm saying, like, let's say God moved the timetable of the cross. So let's say, you know, in God's sovereign timetable, the cross wasn't going to happen in, in uh, you know, the year 33 A.D. The cross was going to happen in 2025, okay? And, and so would, would you rather have... Jesus' physical presence in Woodward, Oklahoma. So like, 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 he, like he's in our service. Like he's preaching, you know. Uh, he's, he's joining us at McDonald's for some discipleship training in the mornings. He's coming by Wednesday night and he's talking to the kids at Teen Kids. And uh, he, he runs by the hospital once a, once a week or so, heals everybody, you know, empties the thing out. Um, would, would you rather have that? Like, like you meet him, you know him, you, you shook his hand this morning, you know, he blessed you, he prayed for you. Would you rather have that or would you rather have the indwelling Holy Spirit? Okay, so what every believer, uh, according to the scriptures, has right now 
uh, the indwelling Holy Spirit inside. Which is better? Which, like, which would be the better thing for you? Which would be the more advantageous thing for you? Now, I think we all, I don't want to speak for you, but like, I, I think all naturally we're like, well, I'd rather have him here, right? Like, I'd rather like see him. I want to I wanna see a little walking on the water, and I want to see some uh, stilling of the, the tornado, and I, I want to see some healings, and I, I, I want to, man, that, that would be it. But isn't it interesting that Jesus goes the other way? So, so in, you know, in verse 7, he says, you, you guys are all tore up. You're sad because I, I told you I'm going away. I'm leaving. I'm going to die. And he says in verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Like, it's better for you. He says, if I don't go away, then the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus says, it's better what you have. What you have in the indwelling Holy Spirit, what you have in the words of the Spirit, by the way, this is the, the product of the Holy Spirit. So what you have in the Gospels is the life of Jesus by the in, in empowerment of the Holy Spirit, uh, that you would have the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that you would have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, that you would have the Spirit all over the world in believers. Okay? Jesus says that is better. That's better. Okay. Now, now before you kind of push back on that a little bit and be like, I don't know, I just think, boy, man, if he were here, okay, before you push back on that, I want you to consider some things. Okay, I want you to consider that right now, there are people in this room, there are going to be people with the 945 service, there are going to be people in the 11 o'clock service, there are going to be people in churches all across America and all across the world who genuinely love Jesus Christ. Who, who call out to him already, have called out to him this morning, already are trusting him, are hoping in him, have joy in him. And yet most of the people that walked and talked and interacted with Jesus during his three-year ministry ignored him, were unimpressed with him. Many of them hated him, and some of them crucified him. Isn't that interesting? And yet now, through the work of the Holy Spirit, there will be those who believe upon Jesus, who are joined to him, who'd rather give their life than deny him, in every tongue, tribe, and nation on the planet. And so I, I guess let's, let's, give some, let's give some thought to this, okay? Let's give some thought to this, this glorious work of the Holy Spirit that we have. Uh, Jesus says it's to our advantage, so we have it. Uh, Jesus left, okay? So let, let's give some thought to that. Well, first of all, let, let, let's just make sure we understand what he's saying. First of all, Jesus is not saying that he and the Spirit are never working together, okay? So I, I think a lot of people read that passage and they're like, well, you can only have one or the other, you know? But I, actually, that's not true. So the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. We find, you know, the Holy Spirit indwelling people, empowering people in the Old Testament. Uh, we find the Holy Spirit work, work all through Jesus' ministry. In fact, you know, when Mary was conceived, she was conceived of, of what? You know, the power of the Holy Spirit, right? The power of the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. And, uh, and Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. Uh, we find uh, the Holy Spirit coming at Jesus' baptism. We find the Holy Spirit uh, enabling and empowering Jesus in this temptation. We find people being filled with the Holy Spirit during Jesus' ministry. So it's not like, yeah, you, you know, the Holy Spirit like doesn't do anything. It's not WWF. You know, in WWF, when you got the team deal, you know, the one's got to tag in before the other comes, right? And that, that, that's not what he's saying. Um, it, it's not like that. What Jesus is really saying here is, is, is that if he doesn't go, what, and what does go mean here? It means die on the cross, right? If Jesus doesn't die on the cross and be buried in the tomb, and be resurrected to glory, that is not to our advantage, right? It is to our advantage because the work of the Spirit is going to put on display Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. 
In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to be buried in the tomb. And I'm going to raise from the dead. And I'm going to ascend to glory. And then the work of the Holy Spirit is to impress that on your hearts. Okay, that, that's what the Spirit does. He awakens you to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to the glory of the gospel. You see, Jesus accomplishes our salvation in the cross, in the resurrection, in the ascension, okay? But the Spirit puts Jesus on display. And he puts him on display globally, all right? Globally, not just in one geographic location, all right? When Jesus was a man here on earth, he really was a man, right? And so he's in one spot at one time. Um, he, he's limited, okay, for by his humanity, by, by, by physical body, okay? But, but the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit, when, he fall, when the Spirit falls on the church, now, now the gospel goes everywhere. Now, now, now the Spirit is at work everywhere. Everywhere the church goes, the Spirit is at work. I've had this thought before on mission, um, especially when I feel inadequate. Um, so I, I remember... Uh, uh, we were in a, a vehicle, there's about five or six of us, and we were going through North Africa, a Muslim country, and uh, we're traveling around, and, and we're trying to just, Lord, how, how can we expand the gospel in this place where we can't preach publicly? And, and, you know, just feeling really like, ah, what am I even doing? Like, I can't speak the language, I can't, you know, what are we doing here? And, and, and man, the, the most comforting thought to me in that moment was, well, I have the Holy Spirit, you know? Like, like I'm in this sea of darkness, okay? And here, here's this car that is, is blazing, if you will, with the power of the indwelling spirit. So everywhere we go. So let's just give it a shot, you know? Like, let, let's, let's just speak. Let's just live. Let's just, you know, live out the power of the gospel. And, and let's let the spirit of God work in this dark place. And, and so what is that work of the Spirit, okay? So that, that's a huge question, actually. And we're, we're not going to cover all the work of the Spirit today, obviously. Um, there, there's all kinds of things we're not going to touch on. We really don't have, touch, uh, have a time to touch on, you know, the gifts of the Spirit or a lot, a lot of things we're not going to be in today. But here, here's what we are going to talk about. We're going to talk about this verse, okay? So, so he says in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's sure advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper... Remember, a helper is one who comes along the side to give aid. That's paraclete. That's, that's how the Bible often describes the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, helper, will come to you. But if, if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will, okay, this is verse 8, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the rule of this world has been judged. So what is the Spirit's work? Well, first of all, he says, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. Now, that word convict is kind of a tricky word. I, I think we know what it means. Um, you know, it, it means like to... And you might be thinking, you know, it means to make somebody feel bad about something. That, that would be the, like a real kind of raw definition of convict or to impress upon or to convince, okay? But actually here, and I don't usually like the NIV, but actually here, I, I kind of really like the NIV's translation of this. It says, to prove the world wrong about sin, okay? So they're, they're using, they're translating the word convict to prove the world wrong about it. And, and you get where they're getting that. So if you convict a criminal, right? So if a criminal, if someone goes to trial and they're convicted, what does that mean? They're proved to be 
wrong, right? They're proved to have sinned. They're true, proved to have transgressed, broken the law, right? So, so basically what he's saying here, I kind of like that translation, is, is that, that the Holy Spirit is going to show the world they're wrong about sin. And, and the world is wrong about sin. You once, maybe you still are, are wrong about sin. So, so I don't know about you guys, but here, here's the way I used to think about sin. I used to think about sin as it is no big deal. It's no big deal because everybody does it, right? It's no big deal because everybody's plagued by it. It's no big deal because surely I'm better than other people. I have this distinct memory of having a conversation with my dad. I was probably like 16, 17. And I, I remember the, the road we were on, uh, the country road we were on, where we were driving. I, I remember telling my dad, my dad had, had, had uh, confronted me about something in my life. And, and I remember telling him, Dad, you know, man, I, I, I tell you, like, and I named like all my friends. And I'm like, you know, they think this, they think that. they you know, And I may, I may do some of the same things, but I know, you know, like, like I just had this lame excuse. It actually was, I can't believe my dad didn't just nail me because it actually was a dumb excuse. Basically, what I was saying is, I, I know better, Dad. And I, I, you know, which what should have been here is responsible. Well, you know better than, why, why, why are you living that way? Right? But we all have these lame kind of excuses about sin. The world is wrong about the consequences of the sin. The world genuinely believes that sin, sin leads to life. It doesn't. Okay, there are people that, that are living in such a way that it shows they believe sin can make them happy. They believe sin will satisfy. It's a lie. It always leads to misery. The world is wrong about the lack of urgency to flee from sin. The, the world thinks as long as I avoid the really bad ones. There, there's, a, there's a common view in the world, isn't it? Like as long as I avoid the really bad sins, then, then I'm okay. Actually, Jesus addressed that um, really clearly in, in the Sermon on the Mount. In, in Matthew chapter 5, you know, a lot of us would, would have that view of sin that, well, you know, there's lots of sins, and I know I do some sins. I hear people say that all the time. I know I do some. I don't do the really bad ones. Okay, well, let, let's talk about the really bad ones in people's minds anyway. So, so Jesus does that in, in Matthew 5. He says, well, what about murder? In Matthew 5, 22, he says, you heard it said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So basically, Jesus says, look, God sees your heart. You know, and if, if, if this is the point at which you actually pull out your gun and, and you, you pull the trigger and shoot somebody, if, that, if that's murder, guess what? God is, God is not pleased with you. You're not innocent. If you start out on the line here and, and you're really angry about something, you're really frustrated with something, you let it simmer inside of you, and pretty soon you're lashing out verbally behind the person's back, tearing them up and telling everybody how terrible they are and how, what an injustice you've done. And, and then pretty soon you, you, you threaten them or you, you say some sort of you know, word trying to hurt them and use your words, and then, and then that escalates to finally to the point that you pull your trigger. You know, the Bible is not saying, hey, you can go all the way up to pull the trigger. You can even point the gun at them and act like you're going to and yell at them and then put it away, and you're fine. You haven't broken the commandment. That's silly, isn't it? Give a murderous heart. You're guilty. We might think, well, I haven't committed adultery. That's what the bad, the seventh commandment, I haven't committed adultery. Matthew 5, 27, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intents already committed adultery with, his, with her in his heart. If adultery is the act of sexual intercourse with somebody who's not your spouse, if, that, if this is the line here, then do, do we think that God is pleased when, when we 
we imagine in our minds, you know, that what it would be like to be with that person and then, and then even, even have a flirtatious attitude and even maybe look up pictures online that are, are, are of people that aren't on our spouse and, and sexual situation. You, you've, you've already, your, your heart, God sees your heart. You've broken his commands. So what, what it becomes really clear of is that we have broken God's commands. And we haven't even mentioned the hard ones. <laughs> like, like a lot of people look at those as the big ones. Though, I, man, I'm telling you, the big ones are, Jesus told us, love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment right there. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you loved God with your whole heart, have you always honored and glorified and valued and obeyed God with your whole heart? No, you haven't. Have you loved your neighbor with the same priority and intensity that you've loved yourself? Have you put their needs and their interests above your own? I'll answer for you. No, you have not. We're lawbreakers. But those aren't even at the top of God's list of our problems. Okay? So look, look at what he says back in, in the Gospel of John. He says, and I'm going to read again, John 16, 8. And when he comes, he will convict. What's the Holy Spirit going to do? He's going to convince the world that they're wrong concerning sin. Okay, they have a wrong idea about sin. They're, 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 they're guilty concerning sin. There's, there's going to be conviction here that happens. And righteousness and judgment concerning sin, this is verse 9, because they do not believe in me. There it is. There's the root, right? Like all that other stuff is really just the, the fruit of this root and the root is at the heart of sin, at the heart of our lostness is we have not believed upon Jesus. We have not trusted. We have not treasured. We have not, have not believed Christ and his truth. That's, a, that's at the heart of every evil in the world. You can trace every sin back to that. Right there, unbelief. Unbelief. Why do people lie? Because they don't trust and treasure Jesus. Right? That's why they lie. Like, I know there's a lot of circumstances that lead to a lie, but at the heart of all of that is they don't trust Christ. They don't believe his word. They don't believe his provision. Why do people steal? Because they don't trust or treasure Jesus. Why do people commit acts of sexual sin? Because they don't trust and treasure Jesus. Why are people prideful and arrogant? Because they don't trust and treasure Jesus. They don't believe he's right. They don't believe his word is right. Worst of all, they don't believe he's worth it. That's at the heart of every sin, is that we don't believe he's life. And because if we don't believe he's life, then we don't love and worship and follow him. You see, belief has a value component, right? Unbelief clearly says, that's not worth anything. Whenever we don't believe and trust Christ, that's what we're saying. You're not worth anything. We know that, I think. Let's make up a fad. I thought about using a fad, but some of you might still be in it, and then I'd hurt your feelings, and so I don't want to do that. So let's make one up. This one might, who knows, this might be the beginning, right? So let's say that all of a sudden, tinfoil sleeping caps come out, you know? And it's this, this, this sleeping cap, it's made of tinfoil, and it's got this strap on it to hold it down tight on your head. And, and the, the, the tinfoil, it keeps out all the radiation from your house, you know? All the people using smartphones and your Wi-Fi and your televisions and your, your, your doorbell uh, uh, electron, you know, how people can see when I come, you know, that thing, you know, whatever that is, your security system, you know, you got all that going on in your house, all that radiation all the time. Man, it's, it's hurting people. It's hurting their sleep. It's giving them headaches. It's 
By the, I'm just making all this up, please, okay? People are so, I'm just making it up. All right, but anyway, it, it's all, you know, it's just hurting people, causing ADHD, causing all kinds of things. And so, man, put on this tinfoil cap, strap it down tight, sleep in it. It protects your brain from radiation. It's curing migraines, it's curing headaches, it's curing uh, ADHD. It's, it, it, people are more intelligent, they sleep better, okay? Get the tinfoil cap. Okay, now what does it say when I don't wear one of those, what does it say when I, I scoff, go on, give no energy, effort, someone gives me one at the church, Pastor, you would preach better if you wore this at night, and I'm like, oh, thank you so much. I, I threw it, on we I'll make it a little, what does that say? What does it say? I don't believe, right? What does it say when you strap yours on, right? Or if I strap mine on, man, I take it with me to Falls Creek. You know, there I am, strapped on my tinfoil hat, brushing my teeth with the boys, you know, ready to go to bed. What does that say? say I'm a believer. Right? Okay, now apply that to Jesus. What does it say? You give very little effort to pursuing him. You give very little effort to obeying him. You give very little effort to his word. You, it does not concern you very much what he says. What's that say? You don't believe. That's what the Spirit of God convicts us of. Listen, God sent His own Son to be your righteousness, to take your sin upon Himself, to pay the penalty, to, to bring you into glory, and you say, eh, that's super nice. I'll give a little bit of effort to that. And when you treat the Son of God, the creator of every cell and molecule in your body, the one who breathed life into your lungs, when you treat him like an ugly Christmas sweater that your aunt bought you that you have no interest in, that is a sin that condemns you to hell. That's what the Holy Spirit is showing. Actually, unbelief's a little worse than that. My illustrations fall short because if you're saying... If you live in such a way that says, I don't believe Jesus is the best thing. Okay, follow me here. If you, if you, if you live in such a way that says, I don't believe Jesus is the best thing. I, he, is, he is not going to have my priority. He is not going to have my affection. He is not going to have my allegiance. I am not going to give any, any real effort toward him. Then you are implicitly saying you believe something else is the best thing. Right? Everybody's got a best thing. Everybody's got the thing that they think is going to bring them life. And so if it's not Jesus, you have an idol. That's idolatry. And the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin because you do not believe. Now, the Holy Spirit's also convicting. What's our next thing here? Let's, let's keep going in our text, verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. And then righteousness. Okay, now let's jump down to the explanation of that. Verse 9, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Verse 10, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Man, I, I really think everybody is, is striving to make themselves righteous. I, I, I almost think that that is just this universal 
like reality. Like, like everybody's, everybody's trying to make themselves righteous. They're trying to prove that they're right, trying to prove they're acceptable. Everyone's running from their own shame, trying to justify or excuse or prove why they're really a good person, why they're really important, why they're really significant, why they're really right. Some people do try to do that through accomplishments or through the praise of men or through beauty or their family or children. That's why, that's why kids' activities can be so important to a parent, Right? It's almost this, okay, if my kid is doing well, then I, I must be okay, you know? I, 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 must, I must be all right. I'm, I must not be a terrible parent. I, I must be doing something right. That's a false righteousness. He's, he's convicting the world they're wrong about righteousness. Now, is this just heaping a bunch of bad news on people who already feel crushed by the weight of their failures, the weight of their sin? Is that the, is that the Spirit's work? No. The Spirit is convicting people of the one thing, the one sin that keeps people from righteousness, which is unbelief. See, if, you're, if you spend your whole life thinking the answer to you being right is to fix all your failures and get a little better, and no, you're, you're never going to get there. But if you embrace that unbelief as the root of your unrighteousness, and you begin to believe and follow Jesus, then you can be righteous. Folks, you can be instantly righteous. Once you, once you believe upon Jesus, once you turn away from your sin, and once you believe that he's the best thing, and your heart changes, and your eyes are open, and you, you begin to run after him, the Bible says you, you are righteous with Jesus' righteousness. Let, let me give you some really great verses on righteousness. Romans 1.17 says this, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. For it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. How do, you, how, do, how do you get righteousness? Well, it begins with Christ's righteousness. It begins with you believing him. It begins with you realizing the truth about your own sin and brokenness and turning to Jesus and seeing his righteousness and being joined to that. It's being joined to Christ's righteousness. Paul, Paul in Philippians 3 gives this testimony about working so hard his whole life trying to be righteous on his own. Like obey all the rules, be better than everybody else, you know, do do all the all the rituals, all the all the ceremonies. And in Philippians 3, 8, 9 basically says, Man, what I was doing, it, it's worth nothing anymore. Philippians 3, 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of no, knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, and this is it, verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Matthew 5.20 says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. So, so the Holy Spirit shows us how the world is wrong about sin, shows us how the world is wrong about righteousness, shows us what belief is and what true righteousness is. And then one more, verse 11. Verse 11, or let's go back up to 8, I guess, and then we'll go to 11. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, one more thing, judgment. And then look at verse 11. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Okay, so, so the Holy Spirit reveals that the world is really bad at this judging thing, right? Um, example 1. The world condemned Jesus as a dangerous criminal who needed to be put to death. Man, are they ever terrible at judging? Like, that's a really big miss, is it not? 
The world was completely wrong about Jesus. The ruler of this world, Satan, has already been judged. That's what verse 11 says. He's already been judged. The moment that Jesus stepped out of the tomb, I believe that's what he's referring to there. The moment that Jesus stepped out of the tomb in blazing glory to ascend to the right end of the throne of God, Satan was judged. Man, here's what I like to tell people. I believe this is true. The resurrection proves that Jesus is everything he says he is. That's the proof right there. It's Jesus' resurrection. It's his ascension into glory to the right end of God. Whatever you want to believe about Jesus is absolutely your opinion. But I, I, would, I, I would ask you to think about this. What are you basing your opinion on? What, what's your opinion based on? What do you support your opinion with? Uh, a degree or you've watched 10 years of Oprah or you read some woke book. I don't know what that is. I've never read one, but I've heard lots about them. You took a philosophy class. Okay, what? What is your evidence of why you believe about Jesus? I hear people talk about me and God got this deal. Okay, so you, you're basically saying you have something nobody else knows about. And you have this inside track. And here's your conviction. Okay, what, what are you supporting that with? Because the Holy Spirit is supporting what he says about Jesus based on the crucified, butchered on a cross, dead for three days in a tomb, and coming out in blazing glory, alive forevermore, Jesus. All right? So, so it's the world's opinion against the one who defeated death, whose eyes are like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze, whose voice is like the roar of many waters, whose face is like the sun shining at full strength, and who says from the throne of God, I'm the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. No offense, but I'm going to listen to the guy that rose from the dead. Like the resurrection proves everything that Jesus said. It proves that he is who he says he is. And, and, and so, so the Holy Spirit is going to show you that the world is wrong. Satan is wrong. They're already judged. If you think that Jesus is not a big deal, if you think he's not worth your total and complete allegiance and obedience, if you think that Jesus is not life, The resurrection disagrees. And folks, the Spirit convinces us there will be a judgment. That's what verse 8 is saying. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Satan has been judged. The fallen angels were judged. The people of of the days of Noah were judged. The people who lived in the, the, the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, they were judged. Those are all examples that Peter gives. Let me, let me just read that text. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 6, 4 through 6, P- Peter is basically saying, man, do you not believe that God will deal with sin? And, and he says, if, if God did not, this is verse 4 of 2 Peter 2, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And Peter's just like walking through history saying, man, don't you see God is serious about sin? Don't you see that that God judged Satan and the angels? God judged the the, the entire world of Noah's day? God judged the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? And yet, 
here's the conviction of the world. Surely nothing's going to happen. Man, look around. They're all as bad as me, and nobody seems worried. True? Man, I used to think that. I used to take comfort in there that there was a whole bunch of me's, you know? And like, surely, everybody, I mean, I mean we, we're just kind of built that way, right? Like, if, if, you're, if you're going to an event, and you get there, and you park your car, and you're not sure where the thing is held, but there's this big crowd walking one way, what do you do? You go after the crowd. You're like, well, all these people can be wrong, right? Like, surely they know. Yeah, in the days of Noah, everybody was wrong. Everybody but one family. In the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, everybody was wrong. But Lot. Like there's a strong track record here of, of the world being really wrong about judgment. I think the world thinks, you know what, I'll get there and surely God will understand. He's a grandpa figure, you know. He'll be mad and disappointed, but I, you know, I'll be real sorry and I'll convince him. A lot of us live our lives that way. You know, you know what I recognize about myself? I, I rode in a bike race the other day, and uh, it, it's kind of a local deal. And uh, the guy that runs it, he's really, he's really clever with the, the rules of the, like there's all these mysterious rules, and there's all these, you know, like you're, you know, man, it's just complicated, right? And, and at one point, like I, I was on a team, and, I, and I, I had my thing that I was supposed to do, and I got to the place, and I realized I don't really, I'm not exactly sure what he's saying there. You know, and you know what my, my immediate response was? I'll figure it out. And then I caught myself. I'm like, Jason, that's dumb. I'm like, like, don't do that. Like, there, other guys are dependent on you here. You know, I, I had to run back, you know, and be like, okay, hold on. I, I'm not sh- quite sure what you mean. But my first instinct, instinct was, I'll figure it out. And I, th- I think a lot of people are riding into their own death and judgment with that thought. I'll figure it out when I get there. It always works out for me. I'll figure it out. The Spirit is clear on this. Without Christ, you will perish in your sins. If you die or Christ returns and you're living an unrepentant life, a life of unbelief, you will pay for your own sins in a place the Bible calls hell. Listen, if you never hear this, you heard this here today, okay? Moment after moment in the agonies of hell, separated from every good thing, from all of God and his goodness. And those moments will roll into years, and those years will roll into decades, and those decades will roll into centuries, and those centuries will roll into millennia, and that millennia will roll into eternity. There is a lot at stake. Are you going to believe the world? The Spirit is testifying to you. The world is wrong about this. Jesus is right about this. The Spirit convinces, convicts us to believe Jesus, to believe his righteousness. You know what really changes people? What really changes people is seeing Jesus' glory. That, that's at the heart of it. it, it it's not. It, 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 as important as it was for me to tell you about how you can't be righteous because of the law, you can't go into this thing and say, well, I've never murdered and I've never committed adultery and the rest of them, I'm, I'm better than most people. You know, I got, I got a 75% average. I think it'll be good enough. Okay, that's important for me to tell you that. That will not save you. Okay, the only thing that will save you 
is for you to see, and this is where the Holy Spirit comes in, you to see the glory of Jesus. Look, look at verse 14. This is, this is his ministry. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Okay, what does the Spirit of God do? He will glorify Jesus. He shows us Jesus. Many of you know my, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. If, if we go by use, like use on Sunday morning, this is the favorite, okay? Because I use this maybe more than anything. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, talking about what's happened to believers after the Spirit of God has done something in us, after he has illuminated our minds, after he's shown us Jesus, okay? It says, we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord. Okay, we're seeing the glory of Jesus and we're being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who's the Spirit. Go down to 4.4, 4, uh, same, same section there. Chapter 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who's the image of God? Go two verses down. Verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What does the Spirit do? He shows you the the awesomeness of Jesus. That's what he does. And until that point, you won't really believe. And if, have, you, have, you, have you known people who, who I, I mentioned this the other day, actually, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit numerous times, but have you known people that, man, went to church, had a Bible, in Bible studies, went to the camps, all of that, all of that, all of that. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's like something turned on in their mind. It's like, it's like somebody turned on the lights and they're like, oh my. Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? That's the work of the Spirit. It's, that's the work of the Spirit. He shows you the glory of Jesus. Now real quickly, and, and we need to wrap up because we're going we're gonna to finish our service with the Lord's Supper. The Holy Spirit works through the church. Okay? Now, Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants, however he wants, he's God. Okay? And, and he absolutely illumines minds. He absolutely works inside of your, your head and heart. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. But the Holy Spirit has chosen to bring along the church, to, to move through the people of God. I, I, I love what MacArthur said. MacArthur said, he pointed out this, Jesus took on a body in order to accomplish our salvation. Did he not? Jesus took on a physical body so that he could die on a cross and be buried in a tomb and raised from the dead to accomplish your salvation. The Spirit takes on a body. The body of Christ, right? The Spirit indwells, indwells the people of God, all true believers. And then he accomplishes his work through those people. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, church. The Spirit gives gifts to God's people, spiritual capacities that he uses to build up the saints, to proclaim the gospel, to open minds to the truth. The Spirit empowers and guides and enables and reveals through the church. In other words, you're a part of everything we just talked about. You're a part of convincing the world that they're wrong about sin. You're a part of convincing the world they're wrong about righteousness. You're a part of convincing the world they're wrong about judgment. Like your life is a part of that. Your life that... that, that Prayerfully, here this morning, we are living lives that display very clearly Jesus is the best thing. You living that way is a part of the Spirit of God opening up your neighbor's hearts and minds to the reality that they're wrong. 
They're wrong about sin. They're wrong about judgment. They're wrong about righteousness. And they need to believe. And the Spirit's going to use your, your words. You're speaking the truth of the Gospels. You magnifying Jesus. You bragging on His glory. He's going to use your words to convince the world they're wrong about sin and they're wrong about righteousness and they're wrong about judgment. Church, He's going to use us. So be bold. Be bold in this greatest mission. A couple questions and then we're going to receive communion together. First of all, has the Spirit convicted you of sin? Have you been convicted of your need to believe? Has the Spirit convicted you of your need for Jesus' righteousness? Man, if you're here this morning and if I were to ask you, man, what? tell me why you think you're okay with God. And if you, if you even come close to mentioning, well, I'm a pretty good person. Stop right there. Man, please hear this. That is not righteousness. It's not being 2% better than your neighbor. That's not what it is. It is Jesus' righteousness in your account by being joined to him by faith. Has the Spirit convicted you of the judgment to come? Man, is, is this all serious stuff to you? Or is it not? Has the Spirit convicted you of your need to repent and believe? And I hope he's doing that today.